Well, I want to uh, thank uh, Larry and Eric and Christopher for jumping in with Earl this morning up here. Uh, that was fun, huh? Take, takes, me, takes me back. I remember uh, my grandpa years ago throwing on uh, bluegrass and uh, gospel and uh, strikes a chord really deep inside, still, still vibrating. Um, this morning we're going to look at, uh, we're going to actually open up to the book of Acts. My original plan was to start the book of Hebrews today. Um, and I'm pushing that back a couple more Sundays here. So this Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be in, uh, actually in Acts. Um, because uh, having, um, with the recent baptisms and, and then last week, um, just, looking, just uh, looking at what Scripture says about baptism and, and really that, that baptism is such a powerful, powerful, powerful point of, um, or should be a powerful point of just surrendering and devoting oneself to Christ in faith. Having come to repentance and faith in Christ that now we, we devote ourselves to walking in his ways. And uh, I thought it would be really good to, um, to visit Acts a couple more times. One, to get some perspective on the sort of then what. You know, like as you, you, you come to Christ, having received Christ, hearing the gospel story that, that God sent his one and only son to die for you, that you would obtain forgiveness of sins so that God's wrath would not be on you, but his, the righteousness of his son Jesus would be on you. That, that you would be received as a child of God. As uh, John chapter 1 says, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so now having become a child of God, now what? Because that's not the, 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 just like you cross the finish line when you're baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. Having placed your faith in him, repented of your sin, and, uh, and now come to him to receive eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, all that through, through repentance and faith that now you, there's something to do. Uh, this is why Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 should always be coupled with verse 10. That 8 and 9 says God saved you from something, that something being sin and the wrath of God that will come upon it. But then he saved you to something, for something. That God has given you a purpose now as his child, as his son or daughter. And so this week um, we're going to actually look at uh, the then what. As a follow, new follower of Christ, what do I do now? Um, how do I, what does God want me to do and how do I do it? And so we'll, we'll get into that. And then next week, um, we're going to actually get into a discussion about the church. Uh, because there's a personal nature to our walk with Christ. And there's a corporate uh, dynamic to our walk with Christ that involves many other brothers and sisters in Christ. So this week, we're going to look at being a disciple of Jesus. So that, uh, that more personal dynamic, though, uh, again, last week I, I mentioned that, um, that Scripture, when it talks about baptism, doesn't really present it to us like we tend to talk about it amongst ourselves. Like, well, I received Jesus, and then I'm thinking about being baptized, or we're baptized years later. No, scripture lumps it in as, as one and the same, that, that when a person is baptized, it's assumed that 
it's because they came to repentance and faith in Christ and now identify as being a child of God. And so as those two things are, are really one package, um, not separate things, so it is with the personal and corporate nature of following Christ. We can't just part it out. And, and uh, if, we, if we're a good student here and we get into 1 John, 2 John, we realize if we try to detach ourselves from the body of Christ and just live as a follower of Jesus all on our own, we've missed a huge part of what it means to now belong to God as a child of God. So there is a family dynamic uh, that is connected to our personal walking in Christ. And, but this week we're going to focus a little more on that, that, that personal dynamic. So I want you to, um, our, our kind of base text is going to be in Acts 2.42, but we're going to actually start in Acts chapter 11. And um, I was uh, uh, working on a project with uh, a couple of my sons this weekend and uh, had uh, asked one of them to, to, to do something. And, and, and then I realized that uh, I don't know if I really walked them through like how to do this. And so, so then I said, you want me to show you? He said, yeah. So then I, I just jumped in there and, and showed him what to do. And then he had it from there. Like he, he was good from there, but he needed to just see it for himself, how it was done. And I, I think our walking with Christ is a lot like that. I mean, maybe some of you are great learners, like you can read it and, and you're golden. But for me, it is so helpful and value, valuable for me to see it being done. Um, to not just hear it, but then to see it happening, see it demonstrated and so as we look into Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2 today, uh, my hope is that you can see this for yourself so that you get an idea of what it looks like now to follow Jesus. Um, having come to him by faith, now what? Acts chapter 11 verse 19 um, is where we're going to pick up and hopefully you turned there with me. Now those who were scattered uh, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word uh, to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was, was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. That is, uh, this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
All right, we're going we're gonna to break this down um, in just a second here. But what I want, want to point out here is in verse, uh, uh, let's see, verse 26 there, it says that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Uh, there's a couple uh, terms there that I want to kind of straighten out so we're starting on the same page here. Um, you see that this is where believers were first called Christians. Now, interestingly, they, they weren't self-titled. This is not a title they gave themselves. It was a title that those on the outside looking in gave them. So what does it, uh, what does it mean? It means follower of Christ. So those who were observing their behavior and, and how they conducted themselves said they are followers of Jesus. So they weren't self-proclaimed followers of Jesus in that sense, going around making sure everybody understands we follow Jesus. Uh, Though they did preach the gospel, and they were not shy about that, uh, they weren't giving themselves this title, but it was applied to them because of what people saw happening in their lives. So they, um, it was uh, a way that others, non-believers, identified them. Uh, that they lived out the teachings of Jesus Christ and were devoted to him. Now there's another term there mentioned that says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now we're hitting into a term that they would use to describe one another, that believers would use to, to uh, identify each other as disciples. Disciples of who? Jesus what does disciple mean? It means a learner or pupil in its uh, most, uh, I, I guess, in its uh, 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 technical uh, sense. But it carries with it more than just learning, as we tend to think of it. Um, we, we, we usually tend to apply that as, uh, you know, I sit and I listen to what somebody said, and I filed that information in here, and I'm going to save it. Um, but that's not what disciple means. Being a disciple of Jesus carries with it the idea of not just learning his teaching uh, here, but then putting it into practice. So it transforms the way we live when we learn from Jesus. A disciple is one, as we talked about last week, the, the goal of a disciple is to become like the one that they're learning from and not, not just to know what they know, but to be like them. To do everything like they do it. So a disciple of Jesus is devoted to learning how to do things like Jesus does them. Learning how to think like Jesus thinks. Learning how to love like Jesus loves. Learning how to show grace and forgiveness like Jesus shows grace and forgiveness. Uh, learning how to forgive like we've been forgiven. And so, a, uh, in a very, really in a practical sense here, as we have these two terms, Christian and disciple, they really imply the same thing. They point to the same thing, that a person is an apprentice or an imitator, a pupil of Jesus Christ by faith. Devoted to Him, devoted to learning how to be like Him. So I want to look at some of the ways that the evidence here in Acts chapter 11 that we see of this happening. 
Because it says that they were, they, they were called Christians because something about the way they lived and interacted with people, it was different. These people had been transformed when they came to Christ. And others noticed this. So much so that they just started calling them Christians, followers of Jesus. They had a distinct quality about them that was very different than everyone else. So what were some of those things? Well, let's look at it in chapter 11 here as we go through it. The first one is in verse 21 there. Uh, they turned to the Lord. So as the, the message was being preached to them, and it says, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, uh, we, we uh, hit on this last week. It is when one comes to uh, repent over who they were, what they've done that was against God, and now to turn to him by faith. It's a total, total uh, uh, redirection of our life and devotion. And so we go from living for ourselves and following our, our, whatever our ambitions or our passions might have been, uh, to now devoting ourselves to following Christ and seeking his forgiveness and investing ourselves in following him and becoming like him. And so they turned to the Lord. They heard the message. They, they, they were heartbroken over their sin. They saw that God had sent his son to be a savior from that, and they turned to him to receive forgiveness and eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23 says the grace of God was evident among them. Do you see that? So, so these uh, new believers... Um, it was evident that something has really changed in this community of people when they received the gospel. But uh, there were some in Jerusalem uh, that were part of, of where the church had, had started to grow, uh, church being not uh, a denomination, not an organization, but a body of brothers and sisters in Christ who belong to God as their children. Uh, that's what I mean when I use the word church. So there were some that were a part of the church in Jerusalem who were skeptical that there were really Gentiles coming to faith. Uh, that there were really non-Jews who were, who were uh, becoming Christians and that, um, that there was a real reception of, of Christ. So they send a representative, Barnabas, to Antioch to check it out, see if it's legit. And so it says when he came, what did he see? He saw the grace of God. So among these new believers was evidenced the grace of God being lived out between each other. Verse 23 also says, it says that um, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What does that mean? Well, it means that they had already started going that direction. They they were already starting to uh, be faithful and walk in the faithfulness to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. And he's fanning that flame saying, keep it up, church. So they were faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 26, um, it says, and when he had, uh, uh, let's see, and when he had found him, he brought him, uh, Barnabas finding Saul, um, Saul at this point, um, whom you might also know as Paul, um, had become a believer. And so Barnabas uh, grabs Saul for this and, and uh, says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So, so they, the church was gathering together. So there was an assembly. So believers, as people were becoming believers, they were connecting with each other and, and, and forming a community that was centered around Christ and the work that he had done for them and the work that he was doing among them. And so they, um, they were assembling regularly. And then they were also learning more about their new Savior through the teaching of the Word of God. See there, they taught a great many people. What did they teach? They were teaching the words that Christ had given them and, and the Old Testament Scriptures all together. So the Old Testament Scriptures were now coming to light in view of the coming of Messiah. The fulfilled Scriptures. And then look down in verse 30. This is really cool. Um, and, and really is a shared heart to, to uh, what, um, what Dan was, was sharing. Um, it says there that there was, there was word that God provided to them that there was going to be a famine. And so as a result of this famine, there were going to be brothers and sisters of theirs who were going to be suffering in this, during this famine. So how did they respond to that? Well, when these disciples, these believers, this, this new church that was growing here, uh, heard this, it says the disciples, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So brothers and sisters in Christ that they had never met, they heard that they were suffering because of this famine and they were moved to make sure that they did whatever they could to help them in their time of suffering. This is the the heart of God. This is the heart of Christ being worked out among them. They're not just just sitting around in a a Bible discussion group talking talking about what God's Word says and contemplating what it means. They were doing something with it. What they were learning, they were putting into practice and living it out. And it was transforming them. They were determined to do something to help their brothers in Judea. So they were loving with the compassion of Christ and they were acting on behalf of Christ towards their brothers and sisters. So this is, this is what I mean by um, getting a glimpse of others living out their new walk in Christ, their devotion to Christ. So let's... Um, I want to ask, pose a question for you as we kind of think about what the Bible presents to us as, um, as a disciple or a Christian, what their life looked like when they became followers of Jesus. And, and just challenge uh, with this question, have we maybe uh, as a culture redefined what it means to be a Christian? Uh, this, some questions to consider how, how, many, how many professing Christians have a, a view that life is largely uh, still about what they're going to get out of it? How, how, many, how many professing Christians show up to a, a worship service um, with the motivation to get some experience out of it for themselves? Some personal edification. Not that God doesn't g- maybe give that edification to you, but they come seeking that experience. 
That is, that it's largely about what they're going to get out of it, not the greatness of God in the midst of brothers and sisters gathered in his name. How, how many professing Christians live out their lives as if comfort and safety are the highest goal in life? How many professing Christians value being nice and liked above the truth and the sharing of the gospel that leads people to a recognition of sin and God's wrath and a need to turn from that to a Savior whom God has provided? Well, when we look at the book of Acts, uh, we don't see Christians who value their own comfort and safety. In fact, when the church begins to suffer persecution, you know what they do? They get together and they start pleading with God to give them boldness to preach the gospel more. The very, thing, the very reason they were being persecuted and thrown in jail, they said, Lord, help us do it even more boldly. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2.42. There's uh, an example there because a similar thing happens in Acts 2.42 as happens in Acts chapter 11. And that is, people, there were people who had, were hearing now the gospel message and they were responding to it. And they were becoming believers. And then lives were being transformed by that. Their lives were being changed dramatically in a very short period of time because they were exchanging their old self for the new life in Christ. And God was teaching them a new way. So Acts 2.42 is an example of of what began to happen as these uh, people began to become believers. Look at Acts chapter 2.42. So last week we looked at um, the gospel was preached and, and the people said, well, what do we do? They were cut to the heart by this. They were, they were just brokenhearted and convicted of their sin. And they said, what do we do about it? And then uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now they've done that. In verse uh, 42 it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what was the... What next for them, or the then what for them? Devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and the prayers. So we're going we're gonna to look at that. You know, um, incidentally, um, if we were to, uh, well, never mind, I'm going to skip over that one. It's confusing me, so it'll definitely confuse you. So, uh, in in the interest of not confusing any of us, um, there are four things here that they devo- devoted themselves to. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's look at the apostles' teaching first. What is what is represented here? So the the. The short of it for us is the Word of God. The Word of God that has been given to us, and the apostles were, were, were bringing it to the people 
uh, in order that they would more fully understand it. And so their, their desire was that the people would know the word of God and what to do with it. To, um, to grow in their, in, their, in their knowledge and understanding of who God is. To grow in their knowledge and understanding of what, it, what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. Because having, even, even having come to the point where we recognize that we need to turn away from our sin and receive his forgiveness, there is a lifetime still of understanding what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so remember, at this point of the church, really, the scriptures represented the Old Testament and the words that had been passed on to them from Jesus Christ, directly. So the apostles were in a unique role where they had personally been with Jesus Christ and received the words of Christ directly and were now passing them on um, to others and passing on the Old Testament scriptures in the light now of who Jesus coming and fulfilling those Old Testament scriptures. So they were being explained at a whole new level now because of Christ. And so they were teaching the word of God and the people were devoting themselves to, to eating it up. To devouring the word of God being presented to them through those who, who uh, understood the word of God well. And have been called to teach them. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. I think we might, yeah, here we go. Um, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, this is a, um, a letter uh, to Timothy from Paul, and he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are scriptures, um, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, now this is really cool. I love this. What are the sacred writings Paul's talking about here? What sacred writings do they have? What scriptures do they have at this point? The Old Testament. Guess what the Old Testament was sufficient to do? It was sufficient to make Timothy wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. That tells us what the Old Testament is pointing us towards. It's pointing us to a Savior. Verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is, this is why the apostles were so passionate about bringing the word of God to the people, that the people who were becoming believers would know the word of God, and why the people themselves were devoting themselves to learning the word of God, is because the word of God is breathed out by him. This is his word to us, and it's, it's useful for us to teach one another for, for correcting and exhorting and, and for training us in how to be the people he's called us to be. So a critical component, um, it, it can't be take, removed from the equation. If you want to become a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, it has to include the word of God as a foundation. And they were devoting themselves to that. So if you are a new believer or, or a believer just in general, and you're wanting to know, how do I be a, a, 
a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, number one is, is be hungry and, and, and just pour yourself into learning what God has said through his word. The second thing that they devoted themselves to is the fellowship of believers. Um, the sharing of the Christian life with other believers. So remember I mentioned there's that corporate and personal nature to it. We'll talk, we'll go more into what that looks like in the context of the church um, next week. But we are a part of a family. Um, one person doesn't really constitute a family. We became children of God. What does that imply? That we have brothers and sisters. What does that mean? We're a part of a family. What does that mean? We're in it together. Our identity is in a family that we're a part of. And so we have to be somehow involved in that family. So they began to participate with one another in worshiping and praying and eating and learning and growing and sharing and serving. In fact, uh, excuse me, in fact, when we um, look at uh, later on in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, because um, the breaking of bread kind of goes along with this, look what happened. So, so there were a lot of people, a lot of folks here in, uh, in Jerusalem that, that um, this wasn't their home. And, but they were here at the moment, and everybody's coming to Christ, and so there were people that were in need, basically because th- this wasn't their home base. And so the fellowship was actually looking out for each other and sharing with one another what they had in order to be caring for one another's needs. And in verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so this fellowship of believers, it really spills over into the next thing that was being mentioned there, the breaking of bread, which is the sharing of meals, but it also has another component to it, and that is the receiving of communion. Now, when we think of receiving communion, we think of that portion of our worship service uh, where we take the cup, and we take the, the, the little piece of, of a wafer, and then we, um, we receive those together. But back in these days, uh, it would, would have probably looked quite a bit different than that. Um, because communion flows out of the Jewish Passover meal. All right? Meal. A Passover meal. All right? And so communion, when Jesus... Uh, gave the cup to his disciples and broke bread with them and said, this is my body and this is my blood, he was bringing to light in the context of a a meal, a Passover meal together, um, was revealing himself as being present in that Passover meal that all the way back uh, in the prescription that God laid out that they were to remember the Passover in Egypt um, when when, uh, God brought his judgment against Egypt and preserved the Jews, um, this was to be a remembrance that they kept over and over in their lifetime and passed on to their descendants this Jewish Passover meal. And so communion happened then in the context 
as we think of communion, it flowed out of the context of a meal together. And so here, as we look in uh, the beginning of Acts, they're breaking bread together, which has both, the, both components present of, one, just sharing a meal, um, eating together. Good stuff happens when you eat together. Um, it, you know, we eat together quite a lot. Um, I mean, we, we, we put it on our calendar, like, here's every month. We're going to make sure we do this um, as a church body. And it seems like uh, even just Bible studies, there's always some kind of snack that shows up or something like that, right? Um, there's, there's, there's just something that kind of brings us together um, when food is present and we share it with one another. They were doing that, but then they were also remembering the sacrifice of Christ uh, through the, the remembrance of him um, through what we call communion. And the scriptures say that every time we do that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what they would do together. The last thing that's mentioned there that they devoted themselves to, um, specifically that they devoted themselves to, was uh, prayer. And um, they would pray together. Um, They would pray individually. They would pray together. This was part of what they devoted themselves to. So when they became believers... They, they committed themselves to learning God's word. They uh, committed themselves to the body of Christ to connect with them and serve and worship with them and grow with them and, and, and teach one another. They committed themselves to the sharing of, of whatever God had given them and specifically in the context of food here is what we're giving it they, and, and to the remembrance of Christ's sacrifice together through communion. And then the fourth thing is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer being, um, well, let's open up to Matthew chapter 6 for that because Jesus actually taught his disciples Pray like this, not, not a, a prescription for prayer, although we do, you, we do pray the same prayer together uh, frequently because it is, is, is just a, a, a powerful and meaningful uh, prayer if we know what we're saying and we believe what we're saying. But uh, Christ was not about giving rote prayers uh, to just utter um, as, as if somehow we're checking off boxes or manipulating God or pleasing Him because we said the right words, but was teaching, this is how you come before your holy and righteous Father who has given His Son for you. Prayer is communicating with Him. And um, so He says here in Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
So let's look real quick at uh, to learn from Jesus directly here. How do we pray? So if we're a devoted disciple and we want to devote ourselves to the right things, like like the Word of God and the things mentioned here, prayer being one of those, well, what does that look like for us? How, what is it that we need to learn? Well, the very first thing that Jesus says is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so right out of the gate, we acknowledge who we're talking to with reverence and awe and a, a rightful view of his authority and a pronouncement of his rightful glory and supremacy over our life. That he is sovereign, that he is Lord, that he's the Almighty. That's what hallowed be your name is all about. You are great. You are awesome. You are glorious. You are sovereign. Your kingdom come. We have uh, a surrender, really, to, of oneself to the will of God that his will be accomplished above ours. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is an appeal to God that his plan is the one that works out, that his kingdom is the one being established, that he is the one who's being glorified, that his will will be worked out among us and uh, in our own life as if we were in heaven. Because in heaven, what's going on? Well, there's no, there's no disconnect because of the tainting of sin. So the thing which often uh, interrupts our obedience to God and God's will being carried out uh, is, is the interruption of, of sin. But the appeal is, God, let your will be done here as it is in heaven, totally unimpeded by evil and, and the corruption of sin. Give us this day our daily bread. It is a seeking God, then, and an acknowledgement of where our help comes from. Psalm 121 says, I look to the, to the mountains, and where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Um, this is what this is about, looking to God and saying, God, there are needs that I have, and you're the one that I'm appealing to to meet those needs because I know you're a good father and you care for me. You care for my loved ones. And forgive us our debts, seeking of our forgiveness of our own sin as we have forgiven our debtors. And, uh, you know, I think I would add to this that it is not only seeking forgiveness from God, but it is also seeking for help to forgive others. Um, Because it says as we have forgiven our debtors, and then later it says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you, and if you don't, then he won't. The implication there is, we have trouble with this. We have trouble with forgiving others like we've been forgiven. And so we need help with that. And he says, and lead us not into temptation. We need help standing against temptation. God saved us out of a life that was devoted to everything except Him. And now, as we're learning a new way to walk in the ways of Jesus, there's, there's an, a, a part of us that keeps calling us back to some of that stuff that God saved us out of. And Satan is ever prowling around looking for somebody to, to, to devour. And so we need help 
in standing firm when faced with temptation. Who are we going to appeal to? The one who saved us. God, you rescued me from that. Preserve me from it. Don't let me go back to that. Guard me against it. And deliver us from evil. Drawing, um, it's a drawing near to your Lord, a revering Him, honoring Him, and a turning to Him for help, even appealing to Him um, to help others that we know and love. It's communicating to God through Jesus Christ in the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. These are the habits of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're wanting to become more and more like Jesus, these are the, the, the things we need to cultivate into our life daily, weekly, as just part of who we are. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, um, Jesus said that, uh, do we have that one, Matthew 28, 18 through 20? I think it's uh, back a little ways. But uh, Jesus gives a command to his disciples um, the, the last couple of commands are in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1. And uh, this one, Matthew chapter 28 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them that they're going to they're gonna hang tight there for a moment. He's going to give his Holy Spirit to them, pour out his Holy Spirit on them, that they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they're going to be his witnesses. And so Jesus told his disciples to uh, make more disciples. And so what does that mean? Um, well, it means, one, that we have to tell others uh, how to be saved from God's judgment through Jesus Christ. So it involves the gospel message. For sure. And then um, baptize those uh, who receive Christ by faith and and devote themselves as followers of Christ. That um, they are now included in the family of God um, and um, that they have made a commitment to follow him with their their life. And then to teach them, uh, and I would say by instruction and by example. Um, Think about how Jesus taught his disciples. Was it just with his word? Was it just sitting down over a book and opening it up and saying, da, 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 da. now you know points one, two, and three? Uh, no. Jesus would teach them things uh, and teach them things from scriptures, get his own words, and then, and then he would show them what it looked like. That's what discipling is. It's teaching, but then it's, it's teaching by word and deed, being an example. And the example that we're given uh, here in, in Acts um, is a devotion to four things. So if we're a disciple and we are discipling others, um, there are going to be these four components present in both how we live out our walk with Christ and how we teach others to live out a walk with Christ. It's a devotion to the Word of God. It's a devotion to the family of God. Um, it's a devotion to uh, the sharing and uh, of uh, um, of meals together and the, and the sharing and communion together, remembrance of what Christ has done for us, the sharing of our resources with one another as people have need. Um, and it is the devotion uh, to pray, um, both uh, in, independently and corporately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, 
just want to go to this because there's, I think, a warning in this for us as we consider um, being a follower of Christ. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, it's, uh, I think we have it up there. Paul writes to the uh, Corinthians here and he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for uh, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh uh, and behaving, uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So in other words, um, the Corinthians were sort of jockeying around and, and identifying themselves as belonging to Apollos or belonging to Paul. And Paul says, woo, 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 woo. We were merely the vessel for you to, um, to belong to Christ, that you would receive him by faith. He says, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The warning there is at the beginning, I think. Um, He says, I fed you with milk. Well, okay, so think about this. When we have a, uh, a baby come into the mix... Uh, we don't just like throw them on meat and potatoes. Right? They're not ready for that. They can't handle that in several ways. And so we give them milk. Um, but when they're 20, uh, hopefully that do- that's not all that consists of their diet, right? So that we, would, we would say that is absurdly inappropriate. For a 20-year-old uh, to be looking to mom for milk, right? I know, I'm sorry, it's a graphic image, but <laughs> this is what is presented to us. So, what Paul says is what should happen here is that you should be on solid food by now, but you're not. Implying that they had reached a place here where they're sort of content um, they're not forging ahead and becoming like Christ. They're not continuing to press into devoting themselves to the Word of God and becoming more like Christ. But rather, they're holding on to some of those things that God saved them from. In fact, he even says, even now, you are not ready for you are still of the flesh. And then he talks about the jealousy and strife among them. Um, these are things God saved you out of. Leave it there. And press into becoming like Jesus. Don't get stalled out back here and say, well, you know, I, I came to Jesus when I was in high school and I had a great youth group experience and I, you know, I studied the Word of God for a little bit and I think I know enough to be good now. You're kidding yourself. Paul is saying, you're, you're, uh, it would be like, imagine if um, in the learning of the English language, all that you ever learned about the English language is what you got up to the age of five, and then you never expanded your vocabulary or understanding of English after that. Would it sound weird if I spoke with a five-year-old understanding of the English language at 48? Yeah, because it wouldn't be right. 
And you would understand that. Well, Paul is saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who's content to not grow in his walk with Christ. Be devoted to that. Are you devoted to becoming like Jesus? To living your life as a disciple of Jesus? To live in such a way that the non-believing world goes, they're a Christian. Because they recognize you follow Jesus. Not because you take the right political stance. Um, not because uh, you voted for the right guy or, or just that you showed up on Sunday to church. But because you clearly follow Jesus. You have a distinction about you that permeates who you are, that communicates that you are devoted to Christ. Or, have you grown content to seek out the comfortable places? Kind of live out the American dream? Find a comfortable place to live out your days? Hold on to that hope of heaven? You're saved. You know, why be burdened with the thought that others aren't? Have you stopped growing as a follower of Jesus Christ because you're still holding on to bits of the world that he saved you out of? The flesh that you're called to be dead to, that you would be alive in Christ fully? Well, I'm going to leave you with, with this one. We'll get there. Uh, It's going to be a while. Hebrews chapter 12. It's going to be a while. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us throw off those things that hinder us from being fully devoted to Christ and fully devoted to the fellowship of believers, fully devoted to knowing his word and knowing him, fully devoted to praying together, fully devoted to sharing with those who have need, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are the next steps to take as a believer to start making these habits of your existence. Next week we'll get into the role of of the church body as we walk in in fellowship with Christ and with one another. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you transform us. That we are a new creation in Christ our Savior and Lord. And we ask that you would teach us your ways Lord, that you would help us to devote ourselves to the things that are going to help us grow in our walk with you. That we would never be content to just stay where we are. That we would never be good with just, well, now we've been saved from from hell. But that we would be ever now leaning into, um, devoting ourselves to, persevering in the seeking of becoming like you. And the seeking of sharing you with others. Lord, help us to grow in these habits um, 
every single one of us, no matter where we're, what our starting point is, help us to grow now in the Word of God. Help us to, to grow now in, the, in fellowship with other believers. Help us to grow in the sharing of what you have blessed us with to, to help with those in need, especially within the body, our new family in Christ. Uh, and, and help us, Lord, to grow in prayer. Lord, we, we ask for your help in these things. We ask for, for uh, your spirit to fill us and equip us and counsel us and instruct us and give us understanding and, and, and guidance as we pray. And it's in your name that we do so now. Amen. Well, um, Dan mentioned that uh, there have to be times where the, uh, the missionaries that we support and pray for have moments of reflection where they go, is this worth it? I, I mean, do I, should, I, should I stay in the fight? Or am I gaining anything here for the sake of Christ? Well, I mean, we feel the same way in our own walk with Christ many times, um, that we can expect that. So if you're a new believer, just know that's normal. It's going to happen um, where you go, is this real? Did I really trust Christ? Am I, do I really belong to God? I don't feel forgiven. Um, I still f- feel like a dirtbag today, you know. I mean, there are going to be days where we wrestle with that stuff. And that is, uh, that's the enemy um, trying to sneak in and steal what Christ is doing in you. And I want to leave you with Second Peter that hopefully you would take confidence as you seek to devote yourself uh, to becoming like Christ, at being a disciple of Jesus. Peter, the apostle, says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may you learn to walk in that church, and may the power of the cross be ever the thing that you hold on to. Lord bless and keep you.